The Old Testament reading for this, the third Sunday in Advent, comes from the prophet Isaiah, the 35th chapter. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands, make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes, and a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come up on it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy. And sorrow and sign shall flee away. This is the word of the Lord. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming to you. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The epistle reading comes from the letter of St. James, the fifth chapter. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. And this is the word of the Lord. We rise for the reading of the gospel. The Holy Gospel, which serves as the text for our sermon this morning, comes to us according to St. Matthew, the 11th chapter. When John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. 
As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in kings' houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And this is the gospel of our Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Several years ago, I thought I knew what I was getting from my parents for Christmas. You see, I had been laying down hints and suggestions for a few months at a particular computer game that I really wanted. This action-filled, questing, sword-type game called something like Dragon Master 7 or something. Every time we'd see it in the store when I was with them, I would mention how great that game looked. When they asked for my Christmas list, I made sure that it was there right up at the top, underlined in a bold font, highlighted. I left reviews of it up on their computer screen, talked about it whenever we'd call them, basically flooded them with the clear and unmistakable idea that a copy of Dragon Master 7 would make me ever so happy come Christmas time. And so when they stopped over to drop off our presents, well, of course, I had to peek at which package was mine. And there it was, wrapped in paper, a little box exactly the size of a computer game. It was still a couple of weeks before Christmas, but mentally, I was already clearing some time in my schedule to sit down for hours on end and play this action-filled adventure game. And so when Christmas time came and we went to unwrap presents, I smugly picked up the present from my parents. Why, whatever could this be, he asked knowingly. I grinned and I ripped off the paper, eager to see the shining glory of Dragon Master 7 that I had been looking forward to for so long. And as I ripped off the paper, lo and behold, it was a computer game, all right. 501 versions of Solitaire. <laughs> Not quite what I was expecting. Which brings us to John the Baptist in our gospel reading today. You see, for all of his life, John knew that he was to usher in the Messiah, to prepare the way of the Lord. While he was still in the womb, John leaped for joy when he heard the voice of Mary, Jesus' mother, recognizing and already proclaiming that Jesus was the one. His parents absolutely would have told him what the angel had said about John's work preparing the way of the Lord. He would have grown up knowing 
that he would meet the Messiah, would see him face to face with his own eyes. He proclaimed in his ministry that the one who was to come after him was far greater than he was, that John wasn't even worthy to carry his sandals. He proclaimed Jesus to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. In fact, John protested that Jesus didn't need to be baptized when he came for that. And when Jesus was, John saw the Holy Spirit descend on him like a dove, heard the voice of God from heaven pronounce Jesus as his beloved son. Jesus himself says that there was never a greater man than John, that he is the final and the greatest prophet who had come to usher in the Messiah. All of John's life had been dedicated to service of Jesus, preparing the way for the promised Messiah who had finally come. Everything that John did was meant to point the world's attention to one person and one person only, Jesus of Nazareth. He was dedicated to being the Messiah's forerunner, and he had been doing it with a laser focus, doing God's work that had been given to him even before his conception. But now, now everything's kind of gone sideways on him. And things just are not going the way that he expected. John now languishes in prison, held captive by King Herod. Not because John had done anything wrong, but because John had done everything right. Proclaiming God's word, bringing people's sin to their attention, and calling them to repent, even if they are powerful kings. But you see, kings don't like such things. And so John now was in prison for the work that he had done. John sat there, and he had time to think about it, time to look back over everything. And you see, the Messiah, he was supposed to be the king of Israel, the real king, the one who restored Israel's glory and power, who raised up God's people after generations of captivity. So where was the revolution? Where was the overthrow of Rome? Where was the call to arms and the rallying of the faithful to drive out the Gentile scum? See, John thought he knew what the coming Messiah was going to do. And it wasn't happening. Jesus was just kind of wandering around and preaching instead of marching on Jerusalem. Jesus had a handful of fishermen for followers rather than an elite squad of shock troopers. Jesus was not calling down fire and brimstone upon all those who opposed him, upon the false teachers twisting God's word. And Jesus was just leaving John in Herod's prison, not tearing down the dungeon walls with a cry, not throwing out or threatening Herod, not even drawing up an escape plan to get him out of there. What was happening? John had been faithful, had done everything that was expected of him. But now Jesus wasn't doing what John expected of him. And so John had some questions, probably some doubts. Was he wrong? Is Jesus really the Messiah? Are things eventually going to happen the way that John expected them to? Well, what does John do 
with these questions and these doubts, he does the absolutely right thing. He takes them to Jesus. From prison, he sends some of his helpers to ask Jesus point blank, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Are you actually the Messiah, or did I totally miss the mark here? Are you what God has promised for so long, or am I wasting my time? And what does Jesus do? He doesn't admonish John for his doubts. He doesn't lecture him on having patience. He doesn't show John's disciples a quick miracle to prove that he is indeed the Messiah. Instead, Jesus points John's eyes back to what John knew all along. Scripture, the holy word of God. He says, look to the prophecies of old that you have been proclaiming. Look back to God's promises from long ago and see how they are indeed being fulfilled. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are being raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. Jesus tells John, I may not be doing what you expected, but I'm doing what God promised, what I was called to do, and what is actually best. You know what's really funny about that present that my parents gave me? I did wind up buying Dragon Master 7 with some Christmas money, and I did indeed play it and enjoyed it for a little while. But you see, it wasn't nearly as good as I was hoping. In fact, it was downright disappointing in some aspects. I played through it in a couple of days, finished it up, uninstalled it, passed it along to a friend. You know, it stayed on my computer for years and got some pretty constant gameplay. 501 versions of Solitaire. See, turns out what I was expecting wasn't as good as what I actually got. Despite my hopes, despite all the hype that I had built up in my mind and my questions and doubts upon opening that package, I had actually received a greater gift than I had hoped for, even though it wasn't quite what I was expecting. You know, think about this. What if Jesus had established his kingdom on earth like John and so many others were expecting? Well, if it was like every other worldly empire, it would have fallen and been forgotten by now. What if Jesus had called down fire and destruction on anyone who dared to oppose him? People would believe, but only out of fear instead of love and gratitude. What if Jesus had brought to earth his final, ultimate victory on Palm Sunday, like so many people wanted? If he had ushered in his kingdom then and ended this world of sin? Well, then you, me, and a couple thousand years worth of people wouldn't even exist, and we wouldn't have the opportunity to enter heaven. What Jesus did as the Messiah... It may not have been what was expected, but it was perfect, just as it always is and just as it always will be. God's ways are not our ways. They're much better. We are sinful, we are short-sighted, and we are unable to comprehend the vast complexities of every single situation. God, however, is omniscient. He knows every single possible outcome, every ramification every detail that we miss. 
What we expect normally is our own personal glory, our own fame and riches, our own comfort and leisure. Because those are the things we want. We want Jesus to smite our enemies. We want to be proven right to this wretched, unbelieving world that mocks us for our faith. We want to be able to stand in smug superiority over our foes and say, I told you so, as they grovel and suffer and are brought to ruin. And when those things don't happen, we tend to assume that God's not doing what he should be. If our expectations aren't being fulfilled, then clearly something is wrong. But it's not. Even though it's not what John or you or I or anyone in the world might expect, God was and is and always will do that which is perfect and gracious and right. Look to Bethlehem. Was anyone expecting the Messiah, the King of Israel, the Savior of the world, to be born of an unknown virgin in a forgotten-about town and laid in a manger? No. But in that birth, God not only fulfilled so many prophecies, he showed that he is not ashamed to be associated with us, the lowly, the sinners, the broken, and the forsaken. Look to the cross. Was that what anyone expected? For the Messiah to suffer and die a brutal, horrific death? Not really. And yet, by that death, our sins are taken away as far as the east is from the west. Look to the tomb of Jesus Christ. Was anyone expecting it to be empty after he was buried on Good Friday? Of course not. But through his resurrection, all who look to him in faith are given victory over sin and death and the devil. And now, look to your own life. Maybe you expected better health at this point. Maybe you expected more joy and happiness. Maybe you expected less work, more laughter, less pain, more riches, less conflict and strife, more ease and luxury. And since you don't have these things, maybe you think that God's not doing what he should, not giving you what you need. But when you're honest with yourself, when you understand that you are by nature sinful and unclean and undeserving of anything but eternal wrath from God's holy hands, do you have any right to expect these things? And yet, even if God isn't giving you what you expected, what you think you need, he's given you something far greater. Through Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven completely as if they never even happened. In the eyes of God, every selfish thought, every filthy deed, every time that you doubted God, it is covered completely by Jesus' own perfection. And you stand before God Almighty, holy, innocent, and righteous. You, a sinner, God's sworn enemy, are made to be God's beloved child. You, a mortal, are given his crown of eternal life. You who are enslaved to sin and being dragged down to hell, you will instead be carried in the almighty arms of Jesus Christ to his eternal kingdom of heaven. Even as you walk through this broken world of sin and sorrow, 
You may not have all the riches and ease that you expected, but you have been given something far greater. You have the absolute promises of God himself. You have the undeniable eternal victory of Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah who has paid the full atoning price of all of your sin. You have been given an undeserved gift far better than anything that you could have possibly hoped for or expected. Earthly riches and fame and luxury and ease and glory, those things won't last, and they won't be nearly as good as you expect them to be. But by the cross of Jesus Christ alone, by his empty tomb alone, you are forgiven of every one of your sins, and eternal life in heaven is yours. To God alone be all glory, now and forever. Amen.